Welcome to Servium, Latin for I Will Serve, a new podcast series from the Diocese of Rapid City, exploring the vocation to the permanent diaconate. Join me as I visit with some of the deacons who are fulfilling the mission of Christ as servants, sharing their gifts in Western South Dakota. I'm your host, Karen Gibis, and I'm honored to introduce today's guest. Joining me today is Deacon Greg Palmer. Welcome, Deacon Greg. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited about, well, maybe I should say, I'm excited to get to know you and the topic that we're going to be discussing. Before we get too much into your journey to the diaconate, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, which parish you're assigned to, what you do for a living, how okay. long you've been a deacon? I have been a deacon for going on, it'll be, I think, May 3rd, um, 19 years. I am married, been married 47 years, uh, working on 48. I have three boys and seven grandkids, and I am retired, have been retired for a couple of years. Interesting thing about retirement is they used to always tell me that you'd be busier when you retire than when you're working, and it's quite true. You get very busy. Uh, But the things that I do, pretty much out of Blessed Sacrament Parish here in Rapid City, I do pretty much what it is that uh, Father Tim Hoig asked me to do or what needs to be done that I see that I think I can help out with. Excellent. Now, can you tell us about your journey to the diaconate? You know, everybody's journey is different. And I I kind of like talking about my journey because it is a little bit different. Many years ago, I was sitting on a couch with some friends, and it was after we had moved to Rapid, and I went back to Pier, which is where we came from, and I was sitting with some friends, and the lady that I was talking with in mid-sentence stopped, looked at me, and said, oh, when are you going to become a deacon? And frankly and honestly, I had not even thought about it, and frankly and honestly, we had never discussed it. And that always sounded strange to me until one day, years later, when Father John Hatcher said to me, you don't know for sure if you're called to the diaconate until the community calls you first. And I always always found that to be very interesting, a very interesting comment. But at any rate, it put it in the back of my head. And and so for probably close to a year, I toyed with the idea, kind of pushed it around a little bit. And one night, I'm laying in bed, and I cannot sleep. And I'm tossing, and I'm turning. And my wife says to me, what's wrong? And I said, oh, it's nothing. I just can't sleep. She goes, no, something's wrong. I know you well enough to know something is wrong. I said, no, really? And she clicked on the light, and she said, we are not going to sleep until you tell me what is wrong. So I sat there, and I looked at her, and I said, I think I'm being called to the diaconate. And I said, but I just, I have a hard time getting my arms around that possibility. And so literally, we talked from about 11 o'clock that night till about 5.30 in the morning, just, just talked about what is a calling, what's a vocation, how is this working, all of those things. And we came to this wonderful conclusion in prayer with God. We said, we're going to wait a year before we declare, just to be sure. I don't want to go down this path if it's not the right path. And I felt really good about it. So I got up, showered, headed for work, went to the chapel, stood inside the chapel at Blessed Sacrament, looked at, 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 the, at the Blessed Sacrament and went, thank you for understanding. We're going to take a year. It's not that we're saying no. We're going to take a year. Well, if you're familiar with the layout of Blessed Sacrament, the chapel, you go out the door, you can either go right to the sanctuary or straight out into the parking lot, or at that time, left into the pastor's office. 
So I got up after telling God I was so thankful that he understood and we were going to wait a year. I stood up. I walked out the door. I went to the left. (gasps) I stood in front of the pastor and he goes, good morning, Greg. What can I do for you? I think I want to apply for the diaconate. So much for the year. So much for the year. The the thing about that journey that is really amazing and interesting, at least to me, is that, um, I mean, I, I prayed with it. I really worked with it. It's something that I just did not know really if it was for me or if it was from him or where it was from. Once we began um, the journey, I always kept my heart and my mind open. I I wanted to make sure this was something that it was from him, not me. So at each each time there was a board or whatever, there was a, a major milestone that had to be achieved. My prayer was the same, always. It was, Lord Jesus, if this is for me, stop this. Mm-hmm. If this is from you one more time, I say, yes, I will give it everything I've got. And I did that like five times through the process, all the way up to and including the night I was ordained. I'm standing in the back of Blessed Sacrament. All of the priests are there. The deacons are there. We're like three minutes away, four minutes away from, from beginning the ordination mass. And then Bishop Supich was there. And I looked at him and I said, Bishop, please understand I need two minutes. He looked at me (laughs) like, okay. And so I kind of got off a little bit and I said one more time, I said, Jesus, if this is from me, it is still not too late. Show me, tell me, stop this. If it's from you, I give it my final yes. I will do my best. I was filled with so much anxiety before that, and it was just cleared up in that second. I walked back to Bishop Supich, and I smiled at him, and he said, let's go do this. And then away we went. Wow. That was the journey. That is powerful. And what a lesson for just anyone in life as they're discerning the next step. If it's for me, put an end to it. If it's for you, yes. The thing about it is, is it's never, as, as trite as this might sound, it's never been about me. I really try hard not to make it about me, because as soon as I, be, I make it about me, then it's no longer about him. It's no longer right. about the ministry. It's about what I want. I remember it's a little bit off subject here, but I formed a program many, many years ago and didn't really know how to do it, pulled some people together, and for a couple of years, it just rolled. It was just a beautiful ministry. And one day we were meeting, and what happened was they were going, well, I think we should do this. I have a thought about it, and I want to do this. And I, and I kept saying to myself, no, that's not what we planned. No, that's not what this, no, no. Finally, I raised my hand, and I said, by the way, I just resigned. Wow. And they all looked at me, and I said, yeah, I did. I said, because for the last couple, five minutes, I've been saying no. Eight of you people have come up with ideas that are really good ideas. And eight times I said in my mind, no, that's not what we want to do. I just denied the Holy Spirit eight times, and it's time for me to move on, find another ministry. And uh, um, I do think after so many years, as soon as it becomes yours and no longer God's, it's time to to move on. To move on. You you can't work. He can't work through you. cannot. And for me to sit there and deny the Holy Spirit in that many That many times in a row. In a space of five minutes. Right. Uh, something's not something's not right. Well, what a grace just to recognize that in that moment, to be able to see that it's time to move on to something else. What a gift from God. It is a gift. And it's, and it's kind of hard to accept when it first starts to happen and you first start to realize, but after you experience it, then you go, okay, all right, I, I hear you. 
So deacons are asked to do many things within the parish, and it mm-hmm. and we understand that that changes for the deacon and where their strengths and their favorite gifts are, whenever, however the pastor requests things. But the one that you've been drawn to is for funerals and the ministry that comes before, during, and after, especially the funeral. How did you get started in that ministry? I had assisted at a number of funerals and conducted a number of of vigils and some burials, but not an awful lot until I came back to Blessed Sacrament about, what is it now, about four years ago. After I came back, um, Father Tim um, asked me to become a little more involved with that, and so I did. I was trying to remember just the other day, I think it was Pope Francis, but I'm not exactly sure, but he kind of coined part of the diaconate as a sacrament of service, mm-hmm. a sacrament of service to God and to the community. And that's what this has become for me. People ask me, how come I do it? How, you know, what do you think? You know, different things they've asked me. And it's really hard for me to put a word to it because, you know, I can't say it's joy because it's death, it's grief, it's sadness. And yet I get a certain amount of personal, and again, I, I struggle for the word, and I guess really the best one is blessing. Because every time I work with a family, some families are very faith-filled, and you just help them walk through this. Some struggle, and so that walk becomes a little rockier, and so you spend a little more time, a little more patience, a little more selective in how you approach, Mm -hmm. and some are unfortunately of no faith. Those are really difficult. The most difficult one is when you do run across a family, and deacons who do this, or priests, Um, run across it quite a bit, um, far more than we would like. And that are the families that are fighting, that cannot come to an agreement, and that all bubbles up and boils over when there is a death in the family. Right. And that really really gets kind of difficult. But that's where you just, it's like when I preach. When I I preach, my prayer is always, you know, Lord Jesus, let let your word ring clear through my lips. Let my homily make some sense. And send your Holy Spirit and let him speak through me right. to those who most need it. And that's what I do with these families is, is I just sit down and I just say very quietly, you know, Holy Spirit, I don't know the words. Guide me. Give me the words. Give me the words. I don't want to make yeah. this worse than it is. Right. And so um, it, you run the whole gamut. But one of the things that I really do see the blessings of in, in the funeral ministry is that at some point... It's a great opportunity for me at, at a homily on a vigil or if I do uh, a homily at the funeral mass or a funeral outside of mass, it gives me an opportunity to lay those seeds, mm-hmm. gives me an opportunity to, to say something. And one of the things that I do a lot, especially if there's a family without a lot of faith, is at the vigil, I will point to the to Paschal candle, I'll point to the Easter candle, I'll talk about the light of Christ. Right. And I will talk about the incense and about the five wounds, and I will talk about the Alpha and the Omega, and I will try to bring all of that together and say that the reason he went through all this was for this person, whoever the person is in this casket, and for you, and for me, and for all of us. And the biggest thing, not only does he throw open the gates, he throws open the gates of paradise for us, he throws open the gates of salvation for us, he's defeated death. And that's what we're doing here. We're celebrating the fact that Christ has defeated death by his death on a cross. That's a message they need to hear. It is a message. It's, again, 
even if I had a, I had a beautiful lady come up to me not too long ago, and we're pretty good friends, and, and, uh, and she said to me, you didn't tell me anything I didn't already know, but boy, is that important to hear again. Right. And she it's is a, a very, reminder. very faith-filled Catholic. So where will we find a deacon participating in the funeral? What, what can you do as a deacon? Obviously, you can't preside at the Mass. Again, we do uh, a lot of preparatory work. I don't meet an awful lot with families before and in setting up the arrangements. Father Tim pretty much handles that himself. But my contact with the family comes during the rites and, mm-hmm. and, and after, after the funeral. But for the vigil, uh, we, we come together, we have the rite mm-hmm. that we go through, uh, work extensively with funeral homes and try to get everything set up as best we can. Sometimes the vigils are are held at a funeral home. We, uh, myself personally, really rather have them held in the in the church in the parish. But sometimes they don't want to do that, mm-hmm. and always we try to encourage them. Even if it's a funeral outside of mass, we try to have them hold that, conduct that in in the parish. But again, sometimes they don't want to do it, and we do it at at the funeral home. But whatever wherever it is, the bottom line is is we want to do. A couple of things, at least I want to do. I want to give that person the most dignity, the highest level of dignity I can give. I want to give that family the most loving comfort I can possibly muster. I don't want to paint Uncle Bill, Dad John, Grandma Ann, whoever. I don't want to paint them as saints. And it's kind of easy to do sometimes. And really, and sometimes it's hard for some folks to understand this, but I've come to understand it really isn't so much about the deceased. Those rights are really more for the family, for the mm-hmm. people who are there. Right. To help, help them the beyond and, and to go beyond and to help them understand and to help them maybe grow a little deeper in their faith. It's after the funeral mass. I do most of the burials. And that is a tough time. Out of all of the stages... Of, of that early grief, that's one of the tough times, because there they are, and if it's, and I've seen it both ways. It's a beautiful, beautiful spring day, and the birds are singing, and the sun, and it's just gorgeous day, and here we are at this very sad moment, and we are placing this individual in a casket, in a vault, in the ground, and that's hard for the family. I've seen it the other way, too, where you can't hardly see across the parking lot uh, cemetery because of the blizzard, and that's equally bad. I mean, there's just no... There's no good time. There's no good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very difficult time. Uh, also up at, uh, I, I have a military background, and I love going up and doing um, burial rites up at uh, Black Hills National. But the problem for the deacons who do this, and the future deacons, you will come to see this. It's hard for the family because you go to the shelter, you do the rite, and then they ask you to leave. Leave the area, leave the cemetery, and come back in about 30, 40 minutes, and then you can go to the gravesite and, and visit your loved one. Um, the reason they do that is because, number one, they are so booked, and number two, they just have work to do, and they just, they just have to get their work done. Right. So that's kind of tough, but at the same time, when you hear the 21-gun salute and you hear the, the taps and you see the folding of the flag, uh, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Right. So what, when working with the funeral ministry, obviously this has impacted your life Mm -hmm. and you are being the light of Christ to others. You're impacting others, being Christ to them. What has been like the most surprising part, the thing that has impacted you the most in this funeral ministry? 
Boy, that's a, that's a good question. Um, what's impacted me, I think, the most is twofold. One, families that have some faith, some understanding, they, have, they follow Christ to some degree. They may or may not be Catholic. They may or may not go to church, either in the Catholic faith or elsewhere. And they may even be hard-bitten against faith. Okay. They have, I, I don't know if they're full-blown atheists or whatever, but it's at that moment, at death, when they are looking for something, even if they're a little angry, even if they don't get it, they don't understand it, it is a moment in which you have the opportunity as the minister, especially at the cemetery, to give them some hope, to give them something to take back with them besides the, the pain and the suffering, something to say, you know, there's more to this than you really see. An opportunity to share with It's them. an opportunity to get, uh, to be, and you said it, I really try hard to be Christ present, to try to give to them something that'll soften their hearts, not only from the grief, but soften their hearts into the hardness they have uh, for faith. That's beautiful. I mean, just what a gift you are. <laughs> Thank you. Your yes to serve the church, your yes in this ministry. What a beautiful gift to the parishioners of Blessed Sacrament. You're going to have a whole bunch of people just changing their membership over to Blessed Sacrament <laughs> just so that they could have the Blessed Sacrament funeral guy step in and help their family. I appreciate that. It, it, it really, you know, if there's a gift, it's a gift of, uh, of just being open to the Spirit in all of us, regardless of where we are and regardless of our gifts. You, you just try to do the best you can with what you have been given and try to do it. So there is a key element of the funeral ministry is your, well, hopefully this is something that they take advantage of, but your willingness to do follow-up support mm -hmm. for their families and for them when they, they need that extra, that extra moment to process their grief and process the, the passing of their loved one. What does that look like? It, it can be as simple as uh, a young lady I called not too long ago. Hi, it's Deacon Greg. I'm just wondering how you're doing. Mm -hmm. I know, yeah, we're doing, you know, we're getting ready for this, we're getting ready for that. And you know, so, I so much appreciate your phone call. It's very simple. Or it's, you know, I'm really struggling with this. I, I just can't get around. I just can't do, I just, I just, I just. Would you like to just come in and we'll talk? We'll just, we'll just sit and talk. And so it, it, each, each individual, each situation really calls for its own answer of how you're going to do it. Right. The bottom line is, and is, is you just, again, you just try to be open. All of us at some point in time, especially the older you get, the more you see it, the more you experience it, you do know what folks are going through. Yep. You know the stages. You know sometimes it's, it's within the first couple of days, it's almost euphoria. They're just, they're just out there. They're running on adrenaline right uh, now. Absolutely. And yep. then at some point it goes, boom, it's gone. Yep. And that's what I want to be there. And, you know, I, uh, one of the things I do, I let them all know, uh, each family, especially when we're leaving the cemetery, you ever need me, you call. You need Father Tim, you call. You need somebody, call. Whoever you're close to, whoever you trust, call. And, you know, and then, I, like I say, I try to follow up a little bit, but I don't want to push it because... Right, because that's not good that's not, either. That's not good. That's not me, number one. Number two, and they have to deal in their grief in their own way. Right. And, and if they come across the stumbling block, I, I just hope that they know that I'm there and I can offer whatever I've got to offer. 
Mm, that's just wonderful. What a gift to the community and, and just knowing that you're available to follow up with them and support them in there. And, and it doesn't have to be right away. I like that because grief is a process that we all approach differently based on our life experience and based on each situation at the moment even will impact how you grieve and when you grieve. Absolutely. And, and sometimes they don't want to grieve because I have faith in God. I know what happened. I know where he's at. And, and, and they don't want to grieve. Right. And that's and legitimate right then and there. That's right. Heaven forbid I don't want to be angry at God. Right. Be angry at him. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with nothing wrong with that. It's it's an emotion he gave us. That as Saint Paul said, though, don't let the sun set on it. Be angry. Get it out. Talk about it. Give it to him. Offer it to him. Move on. He's waiting. He's waiting for it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And he can take it. And he's got big shoulders. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) What advice would you give someone considering the diaconate, especially someone considering the diaconate, and knowing that there is this funeral ministry that they will be asked to participate in? Be open. Be open through the process. Um, I don't want to make this sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but one of the things that I did not want to do, and God and I came to a really good understanding on this, and that was doing homilies. Did not want to do a homily. And I understand I don't really do too bad in the homily department. And, and again, that's, I, I don't mean to... By the grace of God. By the grace of God. And, and by, again, my, my little prayer each time I get up. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's between the Spirit and me and, and who's ever listening. To a young person or anyone um, looking at a vocation, first of all, understand the vocation. Understand that you, are, that you really think you're being called and then explore it. It may not be a calling, but explore it. Go into it, especially with the diaconate. And at each step, at each point, at each juncture where you are evaluated, I hate to use the word, but when you're looked upon, whether or not you're truly called by those who are in charge, just be open and allow the Spirit to work through you and just rejoice if the answer is yes. Thank you so much, Deacon Greg Palmer, for coming in today and sharing your ministry outlook for the funerals and the diaconate, and especially thank you for your yes to the serving the Rapid City Diocese. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. If you feel God might be calling you to become a deacon or simply want more information about the permanent diaconate, please call me, Deacon Greg Sass, at the Diocese of Rapid City Chancery Office, 605 343 3541 extension 2228 